ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Greetings one and all. This is Nosebleeds, WFUV's baseball podcast. Always glad to be here along with my friend Jack Roche. My name is Dylan Balsamo, our producer Juliana Burks hanging with us today. Jack, let me ask you, how are you on this Monday morning? Listen, I always get pumped up when spring is sprung and we've got baseball and I'm officially taking Zyrtec. So I think it's safe to say that baseball is in full swing and I, for one, cannot be more excited. It is baseball season and it's allergy season. I might be sniffling throughout this entire episode. As soon as I opened, I was like, oh, I'm, I've got the sniffles today. I've got the seasonal allergies. I wish I could share it through the screen, Dylan. I've I've got all sorts of allergy stuff around here, but. Well, that's good. You're prepared. That's always good to be prepared. Uh, And, you know, an important part of baseball is being prepared. Let's talk about baseball, shall we? Let's open with the New York Yankees. Because it's been a rough go of it for them so far. They were able to pull out the win last night in extra innings. In 10 innings, they were able to pull out four runs of the 10th to beat the Rays in the final game of a three-game set over the weekend in Tampa Bay, but it was not easy before that. You got it, Dylan. I mean, the Yankees are one of the only franchises where we're not even 10 games into the season and we're ready to start making some moves. But they finally pull out the win, 8-4. to four. They lose the first two against the Rays, 10-5, to five, and then get blanked for zip. Um and there are definitely concerns, you know, outside of Cole, the rotation hasn't looked all that great. The lineup definitely has some holes and Clint Frazier is missing some games. So it's not the start that the Yankees have wanted to open up the season, but again, nine games into the season. Have you given any thought to that? Well, well let me tell you something, Jack. This is because you make a good point of how early this is and we're ready to make moves. But here's the thing about the Yankees. The Yankees should this Yankee team should have won the American League pennant two times over by now. Do you get what I'm saying? Over the last couple of years, they've had every opportunity. They've been the best team in the American League every year and every year they blow it. And there's a frustration there. Um, and some people say that's pretty high expectations, American League pennant or bust, but this is the kind of team to do it. This is the kind of year where that's required. So if I'm the Yankees, I am thinking this early in the season, what's going on here? Well, how about this? How about this? Because I'm, I'm starting to do a little bit of 180 here. What have they done to really change this team over the past couple of years? Because we keep on saying, oh, they're good enough to do this. They have the talent to do this. But then they don't. So, I mean, we're at a, I mean, there's definitely been additions to the rotation. And you plug some holes with guys like Jay Bruce. But they're not all that different from a team that wasn't able to win the World Series. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing. Like, a, a guy like Jay Bruce is, is nice and all. And, you know, he was a Met beforehand. And he was a guy who we enjoyed watching when he was with the Reds in his days with Joey Votto and that team. But it's not, he's not a major acquisition. The Yankees made some moves this offseason. You know, the Jameson Tyone trade was 
something worth noting. But it's not – it was no. It was by no means a blockbuster. I think Yankee fans were expecting more this offseason, personally. So, you know, you make a good point. Did they Have they done anything to improve on a team that has not been able to win the pennant? And the answer is no. So are, are we just – is this the season where they make that – that big move or or is it we see how this season plays out and if it doesn't work out blow it up or or make some serious changes i don't know to be honest it seems like the yankees are in a bit of a denial mode at this point in the front office because they know they have a good team no one is doubting the fact that they have a good team you know you don't look at a team with aaron judge and jim carlos stanton and and all these heavy hitters no pun intended and go, oh, what do we need to change here? You think this is the best team in baseball, and they should be winning everything. So if you're the Yankees, you start to question the little things, and they become big things, even earlier in the season. Because you and I, right before this episode started, we're talking about Clint Frazier. The fact he hasn't played in a couple days, Brett Gardner has been taking his place in the starting outfield. You know, Brett Gardner is a guy that has been around the Yankee team for a long time. And I think there's a Yankee mentality of, you know, he is the last remaining piece of the 2009 World Series. We need him a part of this. But Clint Frazier is one heck of a ball player. And you were expressing your concern with the fact that he hasn't been playing before we started shooting this podcast. Totally. I'm definitely on the Clint Frazier train. And this team really does need a change, right? They, They need some more firepower and Clint Frazier is a guy with the capability to do that. And don't get me wrong, Brett Gardner been with the team for a while. He is a guy that everyone in New York loves, but this team needs something different. And Clint Frazier really has been knocking on the door and trying to prove himself every season. And I understand that Boone is hesitant to just let him go out and prove himself. But I think at a certain point, you need to, to not hold the leash so tight and allow him to thrive. You know, I feel like with Brett Gardner, it's the same mentality that we have with a guy like Jay Bruce. And actually, I would accuse the Yankees of having done this a lot over the last 10 years since they won it in 2009, making the acquisition of a guy who was a big deal five years beforehand uh, spending a considerable amount of money on him. And then it's just not working out. Jacoby Ellsbury is the first guy that comes to mind for me. <laughs> Sorry to bring him up, Jack. No, no. I but, had some good years with Jacoby Ellsbury. <laughs> I said, no, we didn't pay him that big money. <laughs> oh no. The, the Yankees did that. That's the problem here. So, um, you, you know, and you, and you look at a guy like Brett Gardner and you can understand why he, you want him to play every day, but then you look at a guy of Clint Frazier's talent level and you look at the fact that this is a team that clearly needs a spark of some kind. If you're not going to make a big acquisition, you got to have that spark, at least of youth. And the Yankees seem to be denying themselves of that, which confuses me, quite frankly. No, I agree. I agree. And if you're not going to make the big move on the field, then you start to wonder, well, What's missing here? What, what, what kind of change can we make in, you know, the front office or in coaching? And then you start thinking about Aaron Boone. And, and, and not to jump the gun here, but 
At what point in this season do you say, hey, is his job safe? Well, first off, Jack, I'm the A-host. I was supposed to bring that up, and I was about to bring that up. But it just felt like such a perfect segue. (laughs) Yeah, and you were supposed to let me make it. I'm the star of the show. Okay, anyways. You're the star. I I will be silent for the rest of the show. Yeah, no, don't say anything. Just... Do as Juliana does and just sit here and, and, and listen to me uh, run my brain. Okay, anyways, let's get back on topic here. Let's talk about Aaron Boone because, you know, so he has been the manager of the Yankees for, what is it, four years now, I guess. This is his fourth season as the manager of the Yankees. And he has arguably had some of the best teams the Yankees have ever assembled under his wing. And yes, of course, he's a first-time manager, but he does come from a baseball family. We all know these things. At what point is it time, do you think, Jack, to say, hey, maybe Aaron Boone's not the answer, and we got to fix things before it's too late in this season? I would say if the Yankees this season ever get to – 10 games under 500. If, they, if it's 15, 25 at some point, he's got to be gone, right? Like, this team is too talented, too good to not be significantly better than any other team in the AL East. And they should be the top dogs in the AL for that matter. And, you know, the AL East has improved. The Orioles are getting better. I don't know what to make out of my Red Sox, but they, they've been pretty good as of recent. The Blue Jays are improving, but the Yankees should have the complete package, right? And if they get to a point in this season where they are not several games over 500, it's time for Boone to go. And if they don't win the World Series this season, I really do think it's time for Boone to go. You know, Jack, you, you brought up 15 and 25 as the record you saw as being the time to hit the panic button for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. But that would be 40 games into the season, and I think 40 games might be maybe 10, 12 games too late. You might have you might have lost too much ground at that point. If, if I'm the Yankees, I think maybe after 25 games, if things are not where you want to be, you got to do that right now. Because there is no excuse for the Yankees anymore. The Yankees have been riding – on the late season excuses since Boone, since actually the year before Boone became the manager. Joe Girardi's last year just didn't work out. He had a great team. It just didn't happen. And the Yankees have been writing the fact that, well, that this is a team that's going to last a long time. They're going to be able to continue to be up near the top and eventually things will click. Well, and you got to ask yourself, why aren't things clicking? Why isn't this incredible amount of talent able to win baseball games in late October what's the problem here and the problem looks to be Aaron Boone well what my question is if you fire Boone if you get rid of Boone what are the qualities of a manager that you want you know what what is the answer to this coaching question that the Yankees haven't exactly been able to figure out because there's always this like there was that honeymoon phase with Boone and and there was a lot of success and a lot of talent and now nothing has really changed and it's time to cut ties. So 
if that does eventually happen, if Boone isn't the guy long-term with the Yankees, what's that glue that really puts everything together? Well, let me tell you something, Jack. I'll answer your question like this. For one thing, I love Aaron Boone. I, uh, I, I, like, I like him a lot. Uh, you know, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy people who are third-generation baseball players. I think that's it's an interesting thing, and it goes to show how the evolution of the game, which I like. But, you know, when you think about first-time managers, it's not usually you find a first-time manager as the head of a World Series contending team. It's just not how it ever works. Um, you know, if, if, if you end up being a manager in Major League Baseball, you usually get your, uh, you get your time in managing another team. Managing a team that is kind of on the up and up of things or is struggling and trying to find their way. And that's how you build your resume, if you will, as a manager. To put a first-time manager in this position, I'll admit, is kind of not fair to Aaron Boone either. I mean, we're holding him accountable now, but it's also not incredibly fair to him. Because what experience is he relying on here? But that's also the Yankees having to say, we need to put our ego aside and get the right guy here because it's not Aaron Boone. It doesn't seem. Yeah. And when you think of, of situations like these with teams and, and it's not just baseball, you, you see this in basketball too, where teams just need some sort of change. Like the direction they're going in isn't working. And it might be unfair to the coach or the manager, but they're usually the ones responsible for cleaning up the mess. And if they're not able to do it, they're the ones who they're the first domino to fall. And I think if the Yankees aren't going to make a move like trading for a piece that they desperately need, they're going to have to cut ties with him. And I, I totally understand the sympathy to younger managers but at some point something has to change right jack i completely agree with you and you, you know you, you feel bad for a guy like aaron Boone because like what else are you supposed to do you are learning on the job but not for nothing he's been learning on the job for four years now that's about the length that a college student is in college by the end of college you know how college works. I would hope. <laughs> I would hope. By the end of four years, I'm not saying you should be an expert of managing a major league baseball team, but you should know how to manage a major league baseball team. So th that is my trouble with Aaron Boone. And and of course, like I'm not I'm not saying give him enough benefit of the doubt where you excuse everything the Yankees do over a four or five year period and excuse the best team in baseball not winning a championship over a five year period. Uh but, but there is something to be said about the fact that just Boone is not – is quite frankly not ready to be the manager of this Yankee team yet. Wow, that's that's a pretty uh, hard stance you just came out with there, Dylan. You, you uh, I know. <laughs> I think there's got to be a little bit of a grace period, you know? And I think it's – I think they are headed to an eventual divorce, but let's let's give it a little bit of time, right? I mean, how realistic do you think it is for them to just 
go on a 10-game tear, you know? Go 8-2 and two the next 10 games. Because I, for one, would not be shocked at all if that happens. Well, yeah, so here's the thing. They can go on an 8-2 and two tear, but it's not because of the shrewd decisions of Aaron Boone. Aaron it's Boone just when everyone's on it. <laughs> it's, the it's, it's not him making all the right bullpen moves. It's the fact that Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stan are both on the lineup at the same time, and they're both hitting incredibly well at the same time. And, and, and Garrett Cole's dealing. You, you know what I mean? Like, these are things that he technically really can't control. And I don't disagree about a grace period, but a grace period for a manager, for a first-time manager, I guess, is a year, maybe a year and a half, right? Not four, not four years. What's the excuse at this point? What don't you know about this team? A lot of these guys came here while you were the manager. What don't you know about this team? What I'm trying to say is if they play well, even if it's not him making the moves to make them win, he will be responsible in some point in some part for those wins right like he will get credit for that in the, same, in the same way that if they play poorly and he doesn't make any bad calls any bad pitching changes he's the one held responsible that's that's just what happens when you're a coach or manager in any sport you know so i think if they play well regardless of what boone does he's safe if they win the world series and he makes the worst decisions he'll still be the manager right he will he certainly will so i honestly think boone's future in part is in you know his own control but to a certain point like how much can a manager even influence a game that is a good question and depending on and that and it changes depending on the game of course you know if you're in a pitcher's duel if you are if you are in a low scoring game where both teams are using their bullpen for at least four innings, yeah, the manager's going to make a big difference. How long do you keep your starter in? Who are you facing at what particular time out of the bullpen? Who's pinch hitting, especially if you're in the National League, per se, which the Yankees are not. They're but not. <laughs> but th- that, is a hu- that is a huge part of it. The-, the manager does make a big difference in a lot of those games, in the games that aren't slugfests. Now, granted, in a typical season, and I'm sure it will happen as this season progresses, the Yankees are in quite a few slugfests, arguably more than any other team. In fact, they, they quite frankly should beat the home run record this season of, uh, as a team for a season. That, that should be theirs after this season, if we're being quite honest. But, you know, Jack, do you disagree with me? Do you think, like, the manager doesn't really have that much of an effect and, and Boone should just stay there? No, what I'm saying is that it's not – as much the X's and O's as we'd like to think it is because the biggest decision that a manager makes right now in the game of baseball, a lot of it comes down to bullpen decisions, right? Which the Yankees are not struggling with. The Yankees have great bullpen and it hasn't hurt them too bad this season. I think it is the change in leadership and the presence in the clubhouse and all that stuff, which can't really be measured. But at a certain point when it's not working, you need some sort of change. And it's not going to be, well, which guy lets, uh, lets Jordan Montgomery go X amount of innings and then bring in someone, you know, to close it out. 
I don't think it's those types of decisions that are going to get the Yankees back on track. I think it's just some sort of change that they desperately need. I keep on well, saying change. I, I well, hope you that, understand what I'm saying. I, I, I had a feeling. I had an inkling that change meant a certain thing. It meant, uh, it meant something. <laughs> and, and, of course, it is also worth noting that we are taping this episode about a week into the Major League season. And perhaps we're being too harsh. But this is what we feel like saying, so we're just going to say it. All right. So, anyways, Jack, you talked about uh, uh, winning games and losing games and winning championships and losing championships and not getting credit for it. And on the topic of not getting credit for your work or, or getting credit for a loss that you don't deserve, let's switch topics and shift over to the New York Mets. Because on Saturday against the Miami Marlins in their opening home series of the year, Jacob deGrom threw his first game in front of a city field crowd since 2019, only gave up a handful of hits and only one run, that one run being a home run to the Miami Marlins. 14 strikeouts on the game. He gets his first loss of the season. The Mets lose that game 3-0. He pitched eight innings, 14 strikeouts, only one run allowed. And that is not atypical for Jacob deGrom, Jack, is it? No, no. It's just, at this point, it's just not even surprising, you know? And it's just crazy how many times this keeps on happening. He goes out and deals like he always does and gets no run support. And this Mets team isn't like they they've got a pretty solid lineup like this shouldn't keep on happening right not at all it should definitely not keep happening uh, and you know we, we see that offense from time to time and we all know what it's like on paper what their offense is but it's just not what it needs to be look and uh, this is something i want to talk to you about you know how many career wins jacob Degrom has i want you to guess oh my god um let's see how many seasons has he been pitching he was named rookie of the year of the national league in 2014 all right i'm gonna say he has like 53 wins so he's 53 wins this is your guess that's my guess well you clearly you clearly got the point i was aiming at by asking you the question but you actually underestimated he has 52 career losses he has 70 career wins He's okay, 70. trying to trying to you know be like, all right, yeah, he he gets no support. Let's let's play the low game. Yeah, well, well, it's what's very interesting is it, it's a combination of a couple different things. One, the fact that Jacob Degrom has been really good for a shorter amount of time, and more Sandy Koufax like rather than you know the extreme of like a Jamie Moyer who just pitches forever and ever and ever. Um, he he's he's good for a very short period of time, and the fact that he's thirty two years old at the moment. Um, But also the fact that he has lost so many potential wins to lack of run support for him for by the nature of playing for the New York Mets at the moment. So what's interesting is the guy's on track at the moment to be a hall of famer, you know, back-to-back Cy Young's he's looking as good as ever this year. It was one of his best starts ever. I would argue the other day. So I ask you, he might get to the Hall of Fame having 150 wins as a pitcher, if that, probably oh, less. He's not getting 150 wins. He's not getting 150 He's, he's not getting there. Yeah, so 
that that's really odd because it also means and this is a little off topic but i'd love your opinion on it Mm -hmm. is it it shifts what is necessary for a starting pitcher to qualify for what we think of as a hall of fame career because usually we think you got to have 250 wins as a starter usually 300 and that gets you into the hall of fame but if jacob's getting there it's not that way no no and i think that just shows not how meaningless the win stat is but how dated it is and how much stock we put into something that's really for the most part out of the pitcher's control like I think we would definitely share the opinion that DeGrom's been the best pitcher in the league for the past I don't know four years or so what does that sound right three three maybe four years back to years Back-to-back Cy Youngs in 2018 and 2019 pitched very well in 2020, but not as well as Trevor Bauer did in the National League during the short season. And by many projections, he's projected to have as good, if not better, of a season than any of those three this year, just because his velocity keeps improving. Um, and he, he's just in a very good spot, it seems to be. But yeah, there's no, there's no run support for him, Jack. And, and this is because there seem to be rose-tinted glasses around the Mets, um, coming into this year, considering the fact that, oh, brand new ownership, uh, the the main piece Mets fans complained about was fixed, if you will. So it was like, oh, well, then all the problems are solved. But as Mets fans are learning right now, it's going to take a little more time than that. Totally. And I don't think that this Mets team, I mean, we're talking about the Yankees nine games into the season. The Mets have played five games. So I'm not down on the Mets by any means. And, you know, you pull up some of the stats of games played, you know, like Francisco Lindor will not have an OPS of 524 at the end of the season. (laughs) James McCann will hopefully have an OPS above 440. But it is slightly concerning that it hasn't happened quite yet, you know, And the bats will turn around, and I think that's really dependent on just being able to bring out Pete Alonzo and Dom Smith without sacrificing too much on the defensive side of things. Well, Jack, let's talk about the stats after just five games. They have played five games in 11 days. They've played five of their nine schedule games over those 11 days, including a rainout last night uh, or yesterday afternoon that lasted only nine pitches. I was there, by the way. It was a two-hour rain delay after nine pitches. It's really something. But anyways, specifically in, in the Mets home series this weekend, Michael Conforto, who has not been hitting well so far, and Edwin Diaz, who has not really been pitching well so far, both received boos from the 20% capacity City Field crowd. Now, I, for one, think, I think that's a little premature five games into the season after not playing a true game in front of fans since 2019, there is an adjustment period there more than ever. So at the beginning of the season that already existed, but Jack, from our discussion before the podcast started, you're not opposed to this, are you? Yeah. I, I have to disagree with what you're saying. And it takes me back to when JD Martinez signed with the Red Sox. And he said, I like that when I come out here and don't play well, I get booed. And here's the thing. I think you're putting too much stock into these boos. I am not against the boo because these Mets fans expect a lot. And it's not saying, 
oh, let's get rid of these guys. It's just frustration with the way that they're playing. I, I'm not anti-boo. I, I am pro-boo. Pro-boo is a very funny phrase, pro, I must say. Pro, pro. I, and I, I can understand that. I remember when Giancarlo Stanton came to the Yankees, his first home oh, game at Yankee right. Stadium. Struck out four times and he got booed that day. And he said, that's exactly what I needed. Um, so I can understand that. Uh, I will just say that that cannot be seen as an assessment of how Conforto and Diaz, for example, have been performing to this point in the season. It's just not a fair sample size. It, it would barely even be if the Mets had played all nine of their scheduled games. Well, but when, you, when's time to boo? When can you boo? Well, it, it depends on what you mean by boo. Like, I, I, I don't have an issue with the boos. They're just not a proper assessment of the player yet. I would say maybe a month into the season is the right time to start. Like, right. like, because there's a difference. Let's say a alert genuine. To, a ge- <laughs> there's a difference between a, 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 I guess a more fun boo where it's like we're gonna hold you accountable after you struck out four times, mm-hmm. or and a genuine boo of like, you are not hitting well this year, bud. So those are those are two separate things. One might say, but let's talk about because we want to shift things along here. Let's let's wrap things up with the Mets real quick and talk about while we're on the topic of Michael Conforto. Michael Conforto was at the center of a very controversial end to the Mets' first home game against the Marlins after a 2-1 victory on Thursday afternoon. The bases were low to the bottom of the ninth. The count was 1-2 and two to Michael Conforto. And what looked like strike three called was actually called a hit by pitch. It turns out it very lightly touched Conforto on the elbow, the pitch coming in. And that forced in a run. Now, a lot of people were upset about this because of the fact that it didn't seem like Conforto made any attempt to get away from the ball. And upon replay, it's clear he didn't. But I guess the real question is, did, did he have enough time to think about getting away from the ball? Or was he just waiting for the pitch, Jack? What do you think? I don't think that – I mean, first off, he's got the elbow guard, right? He's got the elbow guard, which gives you a little bit of wiggle room, a little bit of space, right? I don't think that Conforto has enough time to see the ball coming and say, all right, let me let me lean in and get hit and end this ball game. But he does make the move, which looks, I guess, qualifies for the, you know, trying to avoid. I, I think the turn back is a very loose way to interpret avoiding the pitch. And I just think there's there's too much leeway in how you can interpret the rule. And I don't know how you would explicitly state how it should be but I don't really think it broke any rules even though the ball was clearly in the strike zone and it hit him so I think there might need to be a little little bit of reworking around what the rule exactly is for hit by pitch I can understand that 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 rule does need a little bit of retooling and and fairness to Conforto if you watch it in slow-mo it does look like he just stood there but you know watching the pitch just happen that pitch just had a little bit of English on it enough where it moved at the last minute and could hit Conforto on the elbow. There was no effort to move out of the way. He didn't have enough time to, mm-hmm. is really what I would argue. And I, it seems like you would argue the same. But um, we're almost out of time here. So I want to ask you uh, about uh, another uh, quote-unquote blown call from this past weekend, specifically last night on Sunday Night Baseball, first Sunday Night Baseball game of the year. Braves were hosting the Phillies in Atlanta. 
It is a go-ahead run scored by Alec Bohm of the Phillies. He was on third base. D.D. Gregorius, it's a sacrifice fly all the way in the left field. Bohm's on his way home, and it looks like he might have just graced the plate because the umpire was in the way behind the plate, so he has to go in the front. And it's tough to tell whether or not he was safe. He was called safe. That was the go-ahead run for the Phillies. So uh, what do you think, Jack? Was he safe? What I think is I have no idea if he was safe or out, and that's the problem. We have no idea. We didn't have the perfect angle, the definitive view of what the call was. So you can't overturn it with with that in mind. And at first glance, you say, oh, he was in there, or, or, or he, he didn't touch the bag. But there's no picture-perfect angle that, that clearly says that's wrong. So – they got to either do something about evidence to overturn or they got to invest in some really freaking good cameras. Cause that would be awesome if we could zoom in on to like the molecular level and say, Oh, he, he touched it. He touched it. You know, that would be really good for sports. Well, unfortunately, and I think most physicists would say this, if we got to the molecular level, you would see no one ever actually touches anything. Uh, so that might not be the best level to look at it from. No but one's that's, ever safe. There will never be any more safe calls in the history of baseball. There will, there will never be baseball again. You never make contact with a pitch. No, it's just it's complete force. Uh, but at the end of the day, I completely agree with you. There was not enough evidence to overturn the call, and you got to stick with the call on the field. This is what it seems to me a lot of fans don't really understand about why we do need umpires uh, and why it can't all just be instant replay because, like, you're never going to have enough cameras to get every single correct angle and be able to make every call. You're just going to need someone to make the call on the field. And whether it's right or not, at a certain point becomes irrelevant because you got to keep playing the game. And it might be a controversial opinion, but that's just how I feel. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, but it's just, it, it, it really could have gone either way on the call on the exact play as it was happening and it, it stinks that the replay wouldn't have done anything to change that. Whatever the call on the field was what the, the result, the final result was going to be. So then what, what's the point of having replay? Completely agree. What is the point of having replay? The point of having replay is so that you can go back and rewind and re-listen to this episode. We are so glad that you have joined us on this edition of Nosebleeds. Jack, it has been a pleasure to talk to you as it always is. Thank you, Dylan. I, I share the same sentiment. Well, that's Jack Roche. My name is Dylan Balsamo, along with our producer for the day, Juliana Burke. This has been Nosebleeds, a production of WFUV Sports. We will see you next week. Ta-ta.